from the Innsmouth Book Club. Join me and my fellow guide, John Chadwick, as we take you on a fortnightly tour of Innsmouth. We visit places such as the Picture House, the Library and Innsmouth Museum to discuss all aspects of weird fiction, whether it be book, film, music, TV or art. As well as that, we stop over at the Gilman House to have a chat with a resident guest. That includes authors, artists, musicians, in fact, Lovecraftian creatives of all types. You can find our free shows on Patreon, and there you can also sign up as a patron, which brings you bonus content, plus a monthly PDF copy of Innsmouth News, which features articles, author spotlights, all the latest news and reviews, and more. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash Innsmouth BC. We hope to see you soon, because remember, Innsmouth isn't just a place, it's a state of mind. This episode is brought to you by California Tea House. California Tea House is a family-owned tea store where you can find some of the world's best loose-leaf tea and organic herbal tea blends. Like a fine wine, there is no comparison between fine loose leaf and common broken leaf tea bags. So, yeah, no, check them out. Check them out. They have quite a bit of pretty awesome tea collections. I'm a huge fan of their white teas. Uh, they have a tea club that you can join, but, you know, they've got green tea, black tea, white tea, oolong, that uh, robios and herbal tea. They've also got teaware. So check out California Tea House in the show notes. This episode is brought to you by Donner. Check out the show notes to find a good deal at Donner. Like the sound of this? This is the Donner Island Delay and the really cool Donner LP that I've shown off on like Instagram. Check it out. I've got some really good summer deals and check out their snap deals as well. Use the link in the show notes to help support the show. Get yourself some cool musical instruments, maybe some patch chords. Cool. Lightless stone staircase in the middle of nowhere. You're listening to KZOM. 
Hey everybody, dads and grads out there, it is People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. I am your host, D to the B to the Spitzer, and to my virtual right is my friend, my, 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 my cohort, and my co-host, David, Farmer Dave Heath. Dave, how the hell are you doing today? I am doing much better, thank you very much. Good. I am so glad to hear that. We, uh, we, oh, uh, you know, I mean, recently we, we, uh, we're not going to talk about that episode. Uh, weird stuff has been going on in Oleander, and we can't really talk about it right now, but we, we, in the future, we'll, we'll have an episode that covers this, so. We, we could tell you about it. But then we'd have to shoot you. <laughs> That's a little extreme, Dave. Um, I think we could just like, no, no, we, no. We we could tell you about it, but then we would have to keep you, kidnap you, and keep you in an underground base. Yeah, I think shooting's easier because I don't want to have to uh, like feed a bunch of people. Bullets, uh, bu bullets are actually that's that's not a funny joke. And in in, no, no. in in recent recent things, that's not a. Hey, yes, uh, true. I was not thinking we may want to cut that part out. <laughs> no, we're gonna leave it in and say that okay. you know we we recognize that it, that that is not a cool joke. But um, uh, what's what's going on at the farm these days? Well. So, and we'll maybe talk. I'm going to be talking a little bit about this in the middle part. Yeah. And what does. So, we have a goat. Yeah. And this is a new thing for us. Yeah. But it's apparently not uncommon for milking goats. Okay. She does not like to milk. Okay. Is this for some reason the system? So what she does, but she wants to get on the milking stand and, and eat. Sure. So she gets down on her knees, and so that there's no not enough space to milk her. And it would take you know maybe an hour to milk ten goats. It would uh -huh. take an extra forty five minutes to milk her. Yikes! So we now have a goat hoist. That we goat. can lift this goat up Hoist. and hang it up from. We can hang it from this hoist so that she can be milked and not squat down. Is that like a cherry picker for like lifting engines out of cars or? And, but not as sophisticated. But okay. Yes. Okay. Yes, cool, cool. it is. <laughs> so the name of this goat. Yeah. Just to be happens to be the thing that I'm going to be talking about in the middle of the show. All right, all right. Or the person, and that is Kamala Khan. All right, cool, cool. So got some interesting information, especially with the first release of Miss Marvel. I need a to check that ago. out. I need to check that out. Yeah. Uh, it's for something that I thought, and I will talk a little bit in the middle. But for something that I thought was going to be geared for tweens, uh -huh. surprisingly intelligent, empathetic, mature television. Well, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I mean, just because it's aimed towards tweens doesn't mean that it can't be that. I mean, tweens are, are, are you know, a bit more on it than we think. But I mean, that's just because I have tweens. A tween who is, I don't know, really, a tween. 
yeah, a tween, you know. Who is more intelligent, empathetic, and mature than we thought. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, Dusseldorf is, like, way more. Uh, no, Barbacoa. Uh, Barbacoa, not Dusseldorf. Dusseldorf's a little girl. Uh, Barbacoa is far more uh, sympathetic and uh, on it than than. Yeah, no, no. I'm I'm always surprised when Barbacoa says something, and I'm like, oh, yeah. I didn't I didn't reach that level of like sympathy towards people till I was like twenty. Jeez. <laughs> Well, uh, the the next generation, we are safe in their hands. Yeah, but yeah. hey, let's talk about a unempathetic family. Let's let's yeah. All right, but first, a message from Taza Chocolates, Somerset, Massachusetts, Lovecraft Country, Stone Ground Chocolate, vegan. Uh, don't let that make you grossed out or anything like that they use cashew milk instead of regular milk and it is amazing amazing stuff check the show notes to how find do they out more. milk those cashews ah uh, very carefully very very do they have to put them in hoist i don't think so i don't think so unless it's like a a ton uh honestly uh how you milk a cashew is you put a specific amount of cashews and a certain amount of water and you blend it together and run it through a series of filters until you get something that can be used and you can even kind of make something almost like a heavy cream with cashew and a combination of like um bean water is the best way I can describe it. It's the uh like the water that is drained from like when you have like um beans garbanzo beans or like uh uh black beans or something like that anyway that's not uh, how you milk a goat that is not how you milk a goat but i want to say i have made like kind of a thick heavy uh using coconut milk and also using cashew milk a thick heavy kind of like cream substitute Mm. for uh vegan recipes in the past because um i have a culinary background and also um i i'm i'm cool like that but that's not yes, what we're are. talking about <laughs> Ta- chocolate chocolate yeah 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 no 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 and uh, uh taza chocolate uh somerset massachusetts stone ground chocolate they have so many cool flavors so many cool ways to use their chocolate and I highly recommend it for uh, whether or not you want to make uh, ganache, whether or not you want to make, I don't know, truffles or something like that. It's it's a really good high-quality chocolate for doing chocolatarian work with. And I, I, I would put it right up there with uh, one of my personal favorite uh, chocolate companies out of Seattle, Scharfenberger, who is not a sponsor. But Taza Chocolate makes a high-quality chocolate that I just wish I could get in like five kilo bricks <laughs> so I could do some chocolatarian with. But you know who we should talk about right now? Who should we talk about? We should talk about a group of folks in Massachusetts that aren't necessarily, uh, they're in it for the money, but they're not, they're not there for the people. They're there for their subterranean clan off the coast of uh, Plum Island, but 
And who would that be? That would be the Marsh family. Okay. And uh, what what do we what do we know about the Marsh family, Dave? So, first of all, the Marsh family, of course, appears in um, the Shadow Over Innsmouth. Yes, yes, yes. And one thing we kind of maybe forget about Lovecraft, mm-hmm. he has this. Um, he's, he 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 often has this very witty, you know, love for puns. Sure, sure. And we see that in one very obvious sort of Lovecraft uh, character or family in Shadow Over Innsmouth. Uh-huh. The Gilmans. The Gilman yeah. house. I was going to say Marsh in general is also kind of like a water pun. It is, <laughs> but exactly. Gilman, you know? yeah, yeah, I know, definitely, definitely. Definitely, you know, the, you know, the water. So um, I, I don't think Lovecraft gets a lot of credit for his wit but but he's he's it's his pun he's being punny here oh definitely and, definitely. and i think just like gil and gilman and marsh are going to be prominent new england family names oh yeah yeah so they will um you know he's using fam, real family names yeah but he selects these ones specifically because they're puns yeah yeah um, um, do we have any yeah. other examples of this in Lovecraft, do you think? Uh, well, we see we see this more in his letters. We see this in his letters when, you know, he's talking about things like you know, Two-Gun Bob. Mm-hmm. Uh, we forget, I think, that, um, you know... Um, Herbert West, Reanimator, was first. It was published in a satire magazine, in Homebrew. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I think we see it throughout Lovecraft's writing, but um, and a lot of it is more is is behind the scenes stuff. Sure. Yeah. Quick question, Dave, out of context. Who do you think is the funniest of the uh, three primary weird fiction people that we think of when we think of Clark Ashton Smith, uh, Robert E. Howard, and H.P. Lovecraft? Who do you you think uh, had the, I don't know, more prevalent sense of humor when it came to their writing, whether it be... Um, my, 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 my example for, uh, Smith would be, uh, Mount Vormeath Adreth. <laughs> yes. So I, I, I think again, you're going to see this. I, I'm not going to say more. I think you're sure. going to see distinctive different versions. Okay. Um, and, and, and I think that Smith was giggling the whole time he wrote the seven geases. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. I think he just thought that was hilarious. Oh yeah. So the 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 Robert E. Howard is going to write um you know, most of his money is gonna be coming from that he's gonna get writing is not from Conan. Yeah. But uh uh Elridge Breckinger, which is this, you know, guy 
this basically Jethro Bodine prototype who country boy who who just lucks out, keeps getting into fights. And, uh, but he also does this poem that he wrote about this, um, uh, choir girl who's sitting, uh, you know, singing and everybody's making fun because she just can't sing. Uh-huh. She says, I don't care. She, but she's thinking to herself, I don't care. I'm only here because I want to have sex with the preacher. You know? <laughs> oh, and, and again, that might not be very funny. I mean, but, you know, that that was, you know, Robert E. Howard had this little 14 year old boy sense of humor, at yeah, least in the beginning, yeah. you know, and so it was there. And then I think like a Lovecraft example, uh, I think it was called The Fight of the Century. Yeah. Which it was sort of like a letter B between him and Robert E. Barlow, where he was having different char- different people they knew in their circles all fighting like a fictitious version of boxing yeah. of uh, Robert E. Howard. <laughs> so, so they all had their own little sense of humor. Okay. And they were, you know, like the three members of the, the D&D group that all s- laughed at their own jokes. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, um, so so um, I, I think that it's not uh, really specifically stated yeah. uh, other than Polynesia. Okay, all right. And, and it's a whole different, um, it's a whole different, you know, show when we'll talk about the different books and stuff that Lovecraft read about Polynesia. Okay. But but it, it basically, I think, uh, describes it as a Polynesian wife. So All yeah, right. some somewhere in the somewhere in the South Pacific. Sure. Okay. Cool. Very cool. All right. So then we have Obed uh, brings back uh, the promise of golden fish and a Polynesian wife that people don't see necessarily. And that kind of begins a tradition in the Marsh family in Innsmouth, Massachusetts. Um, or Taxachusetts. <laughs> um, yes. And so uh, we, we, we then have the beginning of what is known as the Innsmouth look. Yes. And we also have the beginning of the Church of Dagon in 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 Massachusetts at least. Uh and and uh yeah, other fishy things going on pun intended. <laughs> yes. So yes, and 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 so the esoteric order of Dagon I think we talked about in the mm-hmm, past. Mm-hmm. It upsurps the positions of the Christian churches. Yes. And so much so that at the end it takes physically takes over their buildings. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is, of course, uh, you know, the, the shadow over Innsmouth. Correct. And then we've got to remember that he has – Obed is going to be rather prolific. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he is going to have, among other children or descendants, is going to be Robert Olmsted. Yes. Yes. Now Olmsted's name does not appear in any of the final dra- in the final draft that's published. Correct. He, uh, he does, I think, appear in some of the early drafts, and then 
finally, uh, or, or in letters, he, he, he will write and say in letters that this is my character. Yeah. Um, so, and it's sort of interesting that fate is going to make Olmstead find this destiny because there's something inside him that's not only changing him and making him this fish monster, uh-huh. uh, 98-year-old or so story spoilers, but it also makes him a genealogist, a historian, yeah. uh, an antiquarian. He wants to find there's something that in him that is burning to find his family. Correct. And he gets more than he, he planned for. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, now, that would not have been uncommon in the 20s. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. People were finally sort of – I mean it really comes to America when Roots is published – but people began to start of being interested in genealogy and who their family were in the 20s. Yeah. Yeah, no, no. That's that's definitely a, a uh, American thing for sure is kind of being like, golly gee, my family's been in America for so long, but where the heck did we come from? And... Uh, some people I know are more fortunate than others when it comes to finding out where their families are or what their families did beforehand. Uh, one of my friends who's been on the show before, uh, whose name I'm not going to say because then I'm going to let people guess of which of my friends, uh, they did family research and they found that uh, his father was – or his his grand his great grandfather was the last person hung for uh train robbing in America <laughs> and like another friend of mine like found out that there was like a lot of like uh like their 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 great grandfather was known for all kinds of like petty larceny <laughs> and just weird stuff like that and 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 other people I I know is like oh yeah no my great grandmother or no actually her grandmother was uh, adopted by a wealthy family in Louisiana um, to just be a servant child because. Um, she was the child of anarchists from the Ukraine that were shipped back, but uh, since the child was born in America, it had to stay in an orphanage and then uh, ended up with some fancy family in Louisiana that, you know, they weren't allowed to have slaves anymore, but hey, immigrant children, that's not a problem. But yeah, just just weird stuff like that. <laughs> You can find some interesting things, maybe oh, yeah. stuff you didn't want to know. Oh yeah, yeah, no, no. I've like found out stuff about my family, and it's like, well, that makes sense. I mean, that that totally makes sense. That's that's, and it's it's like the uncomfortable stuff. It's like, yeah, no, no, that that's. Oh man, yeah, no, no. I have a conversation about Ken Height where he's like, "This is your family." crest and I'm like yeah and he's like do you know what this means and I'm like kind of and he's like yeah we shouldn't do this episode and I'm like okay <laughs> ooh interesting <laughs> yeah 
Yeah. So <laughs> that's kind of what they say about about the Marsh families and you know yeah. the, the Shadow Over Innsmouth. Yeah. But one of my f- favorite uh, non Lovecraftian uh, stories published about thirty years ago. Yeah. I mean, not not uh, non Lovecraft Cthulhu uh, Cthulhu mythos stories. Uh-huh. Is uh, Kim Newman's The Big Fish. Oh. And that is, uh, so that was originally published, I think, in 1992 in Inner Zone magazine. But where I first read it, and people who are interested uh, can get, easily get a copy, is Tor's uh, Cthulhu 2000. Oh, yeah, yeah. Great collection of, of late 20th century uh, mythos stories. Yeah, I think uh, you can uh, get that on your Kindle even right now. Like if you just, I'm sure you can. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure there's even probably an audiobook out there for people who yeah. like audiobooks. Oh, cool. And um, it's set during a real historical event mm-hmm. called the Battle of Los Angeles. Yes. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with this story or the Battle of Los Angeles. I'll, I'll let you uh, regale everyone with the information about the Battle of uh, Los Angeles. So the Battle of Los Angeles is a, an actual event that happened, um, I believe, early 1942, uh, right not too far after Pearl Harbor, and uh, which probably was basically mass hysteria where basically all the the um, anti-aircraft batteries throughout you know Southern California thought they were being invaded by the Japanese and they just kept firing and firing uh, all night and I think there was like 40,000 rounds fired and there's a very famous picture, people, you know, Google, uh, Times Photo, uh, Battle of Los Angeles, where a reporter in the L.A. Times goes out, and it's it's got to be, like, the searchlights on a, a temperature inversion or something, but it looks all the world like they're shooting these tracer rounds at this big round desk object. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, but, you know, what it is. But it's it, true event. It really happened. Um, yeah. Uh, Spielberg's uh, 1941 is loosely based on it. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. But in this version, it's the government attacking uh, the Deep Ones. And, and again, this is, you know, a 30 year old story. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, spoiling it. But it's a it's basically a noir detective story. Okay. And okay. the detective meets Janet Marsh. Okay. Who has moved to Hollywood from you know Massachusetts, and she's this very interesting movie star. Uh, and in this it in this you know the esoteric. Order of Dagon existed in California, so it implies this is this at least national, if not global, organization. Sure and Janet Marsh stars in uh, Tarzan serials as the Jungle Queen. Okay. And she has this just gorgeous, beautiful body. But, you know, the detective describes her face, you know, uh, as being sort of 
you know, hideous and uh, looking like Peter Lorre. Yeah. Um, and she is also a hybrid. And it's turned out that she's getting closer and closer to, you know, returning to her, uh, you know, her uh, offshore cousins. Sure. Um, and I, I think that's, I think that's one of the better post-Lovecraft uses of not only uh, the Deep Ones, but of the Marsh family. Okay, yeah, definitely, definitely. I like that. But uh, other than that, I really don't have much left about the marshes. I, I, I mean, they're they're responsible for the uh, Order of Dagon in Massachusetts. They're yeah. so yeah. We've we've got uh, we've got the Marsh family all over. We have Azaneth Marsh in thing at the doorstep. Do we? Do we have? Or, any... or, or she's a she's related to the Marsh. She's actually a wait. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, she's she's uh, a wait. Uh, but yeah, no, her her mother's side of the family is related uh, to the Marshes. Our Marshes. Yeah. And she has that Innsmouth look. Um, yes. But she's also supposed to be like stunningly beautiful, but also has the Innsmouth look. So I don't know what that means. I, I think that just means like... She looks like Betty Boop. She's just this like big-headed, big-eyed, <laughs> tiny-nosed. <laughs> you know, and and, and the, I think that's a great example. Um, and 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 I I think that I mean there's obviously ties, but I think that that Lovecraft is sort of using the this Polynesian features as being exotic. Yeah, okay. All right. So, yeah. Yeah, that's uh that's the Marsh family. Uh what do we got next going on, Dave? What do you what, what are you talking about? So, I'm going to as I had, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh Kamala Khan, both Miss Marvel and the goat that doesn't want to be milked. Ooh, cool. All right. I I have to check out I have to check that out. Um uh, it, it is a lot better than I thought it would be. Nice. I would, I would say it's amazing. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. Well, I'm going to talk about some comic book stuff in uh, recommendations when we get to that. But uh, up after this part, after ads and such, uh, you and I will be talking about the Mego and uh, yes. how to use them in your role-playing games. So, yeah. Let's go, and we'll uh, you'll talk about Ms. Marvel, and then we'll talk about the Miko, and all right. So we'll hear, talk to you, whatnot, in a bit. Okay, here we go. This is Dave's Corner of the Podcast. It is awesome, and it's gonna go fast. It's not the interview part.
everybody. This is David, and I'm doing well. But then again, you knew that. So while you've got me on, on the show now, I'm going to talk about one of my favorite, uh, not only Marvel, but comic book characters ever. And that is Kamala Khan, Miss Marvel. So you guys all know that how you can tell if I really like something or not is if I name a goat after it, or her, or him, and yes, I absolutely do have a goat named Kamala Khan. Now, that's the barn name, that's the name that we call her. She's registered, because it's usually a different name that she's registered under than the name you call a goat at in a barn. So her registered name is Miss Marvel, and her barn name is Kamala Khan. So, before we get too much in about, like I said, one of my favorite all-time characters, I'll talk a little bit about the goat, who I love. This is actually the oldest daughter of, you know, the first goat I ever owned, Kleist. And um, so, you know, Kamala Khan was one of the first names I used. Kamala's got a little problem. Kamala the goat, that is. She doesn't like to milk. Now, apparently, this is not an uncommon issue, but it's the first time we've run across it. So what she does is it, it she just doesn't like it. It hurts her. We thought maybe she had mastitis or maybe an infection, but no, it's just stubborn goat just doesn't like the way it feels. So what she does is she gets down on her knees so you can't milk her while she's on the stand, you know, eating grain. So what we basically have to do is get a hoist and this sling that you can put her legs in and hold her up so that she can be milked. It's not quite like a cherry picker or a goat picker, but kind of is. So, so that's the saga of Kamala Khan, the goat. Let's talk about Kamala Khan, the Marvel superhero. And the new Disney Plus show, uh, Miss Marvel. Now, and we're going to talk a little bit more because the show does have some uphill battles it has to fight. And there are, you know, some, I love it. I think it's probably the best, just on seeing the first episode, the best Disney Plus, at least Marvel series, but maybe best thing that Disney Plus has put out any one single episode. And there may be some light spoilers. Uh, Kamala Khan is in high school, but we're not going to be really spoiling anything. But I get there's some reasons why people might not really get behind the show as much as I do. And, I mean, it could be stuff like, you know, you had a terrible time in high school, and just thinking about high school and seeing it on the TV screen causes traumatic flashbacks. Oh, maybe you just don't like Marvel. You prefer DC. Okay, sure. Uh, Maybe you just wanted something darker and grittier. Okay, yeah, I I get that. Maybe you're a huge fan of Miss Khan and and just kind of disappointed that they've tweaked her powers around a little bit as well as sort of changed her origin. You want her to be an inhuman. You know, okay, hey, you know, I get it. But um, 
let's talk a little bit about the character before we go into the show. Uh, Kamala Khan was created in 2013. And I have to admit, you know, when I first read about the character coming out, uh, I thought, you know, it was just kind of pandering. I, re I really did. It wasn't until I started reading these, you know, graphic novels and, and the uh, the different comics that, that I realized, you know, this is just this is not just a superhero, and we're gonna dye the color of the skin and give it a sort of superficial Islamic background because she was such. She was that, but she was so much more. Now, I am not female. I am not Islamic. I did not grow up in New Jersey. But I feel really connected to her. And one of the reasons I feel connected is, despite all that, she is... First of all, a very fleshed out character, but she's also a geek. She, you know, she writes, you know, Avengers fanfic. She, you know, on the TV show, she has her own YouTube channel. And that appealed to me. I love the character. She is not perfect, but that's what makes her so human. And I was, I love the character so much that I got not only my youngest daughter, but my niece, I bought them the first graphic novels uh, and gave them as a gift because I, I wanted them to see that even though they may have different color skin, there were carrot or, you know, different religion, but that there was characters that they could identify with. And I, I really got a shout out to Iman Valani, who, who plays... She's actually a little older than her, her character. Uh, in reality, she's 19. Uh, her birthday's coming up in September. Um, then she'll be 20. And one of the things that I think that they did so well is she's as cute as a button, just adorable. But they in no way sexualize her. But that doesn't mean she's not cute. Disney said did kind of the same thing uh, with uh, Haley Steinfeld's uh, Kate Bishop. Of course, that character is 22. She's a little older, a little mature. But again, they made her cute and attractive, not in a sexualized way. In some of the better episodes, I think, of The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina... I, I think they kind of do that in some of the better episodes uh, with uh, Karina Shipka, but then, of course, they kind of cross into Riverdale ter territory, and, and they kind of blow some episodes there, too. But uh, could have said Disney for doing that. So despite as much as I love the character, the concept, um... Miss Marvel's got some uphill battles that she, they're going to fight. And one of them is a lot of competition. I mean, it came out, what, four days after Stranger Things Season 4. Same day as Episode 4 of Obi-Wan. 
Uh, there's just a lot of things. People are you know, getting over COVID. They want to go out. They want to see movies. They want to just be their friend with their friends. So there's a lot more competition for viewers out there. Uh, another thing is that you know, a lot of people are just maybe marveled out or superheroed out. And that's one of the problems when a studio consistently churns out, you know, quality stuff, you get used to it. Um, and, and I get it. A lot of people are, you know, they want something else. Uh, a lot of people are just over superheroes. Another is, in a way, I think she's more of the comic book character is more of a niche audience. And like I said, I bought them. A lot of friends bought them. A lot of especially, you know, male, female nerds, we identified with her. But she doesn't have, say, the name recognition of Captain America or the Hulk or even Scarlet Witch. Um, so a lot of people, this will be her their introduction to her. Um, and that I could see a lot of, of, you know, if you don't already, if you already have a, an interest and you're invested in the character, you're more likely to watch it than not. Uh, but then again, I think before, uh, you know, uh, James Gunn's movie out went out, uh, a lot of people just didn't know who the Guardians of the Galaxy were. May have heard of them, but didn't didn't know them as characters. So that that's definitely things to go over that. Uh, another thing is that people are seeing a pro-gay agenda in the show, and now there people wore pride shirt, but you know. People are saying that it's a bad show because they are accusing Kamala Khan of being gay, which that's not canon. There's nothing in the show that I would see it. And if it did, okay, bring it on. You know, who cares? But, you know, people are just making up things not to like it. Now, they decided they make uh, Kamala gay. Okay, that's fine. I, I don't have a problem with that. But I've never seen anything that made me think they were going that way with the character. And if they did, who cares? Um, another thing I think that is people are concerned is, honestly, I hate to say it, but there's some degree racism. There are a lot of um, basically people giving it a bad rating because she's Pakistani. They don't either don't like Islam, they don't like a brown-skinned girl from New Jersey, or they don't like the political stance that Pakistan often takes. And, you know, I can understand that. But if not liking the political stance of America was the reason that I didn't like you know, a character, then, you know, I wouldn't like any characters that were, you know, from the United States. So, you know, I, I, I completely get that, you know, people don't want or disagree with the pa 
you know, the Pakistani government. I disagree with what they do quite often. But that doesn't make a difference. First of all, she's Pakistani-American. She is as American as Apple Pie and DC Comics. But, you know, some people deliberately, you know, have, you know, tried to lower uh, the, the score, Rotten Tomatoes, IMDb, and others by giving it uh, a low rating. And, and here's that, you know, I'm sure I look at ratings and guide, you know, see how many people liked it. But this is, you know, Sociology 101. Any type of poll that requires people to respond is not going to be scientific or accurate. There are people who dislike it because she's Muslim. You know, there is a Facebook group called, you know, Christians Against uh, Kamala Khan. Now, I get that maybe it's kind of a put-on because it's run by Wade Wilson, who, you know, Wade Wilson, if you didn't know, that's Deadpool's name. And if you're going to object to a comic book, a character, or a TV show because of, you know, your religious beliefs and their religious beliefs, maybe you shouldn't, uh, you know, pick as a, a pseudonym uh, the name of a pansexual assassin. So, so, so maybe it's a troll, but okay. There are honestly people, and I hate to say this, but in the 21st century, that will not watch a show because it shows in a positive light someone else's religion because it's different or someone of a different color of skin. Um, so I get that, uh, the, you know, that's just something that we live with in, in the, the 21st century. Now, there's one tweak, and just before I go, that I want to talk about. I actually like her family more in the series so far than I do in the comic. I think they're more fleshed out. I think they're more sympathetic. And, and I get this, a lot of people disagree. This is just basically rebellious teen, you know, old world parents don't understand. But, you know, my friends that were children of first-gen immigrants from all over the world, they see this, they understand. And, I mean, I'm sure that I did things that will bring the wrath of my children, you know, as, as we grow older. So it, it's a universal. It's actually something that, once again, I, I gets me closer to the character and brings me more to her, but also more I respect her more because of it. But I like this change. It does make Kamala at times come off a little bit more of a brat. Um, the first episode was based on one of the later graphic novels. Uh, it is called Generation Y. W-H-Y. And I think that's very important. You know, her parents come from a family of 
faith, a family of a generation that accepts things on its face value. But come on, her kindred spirits, they don't. And for them, it's not only knowing if something is right, the reason why it's right, why they should follow a code, a tradition, why, you know, they need to understanding. Because without this understanding, ideas, dogma, uh, philosophies, beliefs, they become tried. They become mutated in ways that the original idea wasn't meant to. So, in all in all, I'm hoping that it will hold out, but I am really enjoying uh, Miss Marvel the series and hope to see her in more comics. Hey, this is Dave, and uh, I guess I'm going to turn you over to me and DB so we can talk a little uh, role-playing in Dungeons & Dragons. Shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Here are your hosts, Derek M. Cook, and his ever rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not so classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher. Or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. Classic monsters, modern talk, and the head of Rondo Hatton. Only on Monster Kid Radio. It's me, DB. New sponsor on the show, Glary. Glary offers a great price and better quality goods and services for music lovers. Are you looking for good prices, free shipping, 100% quality guarantee? Glary's got you covered. Guitars, bass guitars, mandolins. They've got saxophones, trumpets, drums. They've got guitar cases, amplifiers, all the stuff that you need without having to break the bank. Inexpensive doesn't have to mean cheap. Check out the show notes to find more about Glary. 20-watt amplifiers for under $50. Hard cases for your electric guitar for under $80. Guitars themselves for under $90. Come on, folks, check out the show notes. Get a Glary. 
thank you once again for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. You can help show your support by going to the show notes and following any of the links that'll tell you how to support the show and how to support our guests. And thank you to all of our guests who you can find in the show notes. Rate, review, subscribe, and remember, patrons get priority access to asking us questions, suggesting topics, even, I don't know, uh, submitting stuff. Actually, you don't have to be a patron to submit anything. That's how Dave got on the show, and that's how you can get on the show, too. It's the People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Thank you for listening. Back to the show. Hey, everyone. So we are back. Dave, how was your break? I was surprisingly good. Good, 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 good. I, I I ran around the block and I stretched my arms, and you know, cemet- I, I I see that a little longer. Yeah, uh, the the uh, the the cemetery's looking pretty good these days. Everything's going good. The contractors I've got going to mow it and whatnot for me. Uh, they're doing a great job, and uh, those pit holes that uh, came up like six months ago. Can't even tell they were there. So no need to worry about that. The mayor says, hey, everyone, come back to the graveyard. It's perfectly safe. So the the ones that mysteriously look like they were dug from beneath. Um, We're not allowed to talk about that, Dave. Oh, sorry. sorry. So um, we Migo. Are... Migo. Yeah. Migo. So the Migo. Uh, my favorite fungoid lobster space race uh, that uses Pluto as an outpost in our solar system, but also does active mining on Earth. So, so, so a little bit of tangent before we get into how to use them in role playing games. Sure, go for it. So, Lovecraft, the Mego, uh, the colors out of space. Yeah, Lovecraft definitely hated this kind of concept that aliens are basically people with antennas or green faces. Yeah. Yeah. Lovecraft really have this, this idea, which I think was ahead of his time that aliens would be just that would be aliens. Yeah. Yeah. He would have hated Star Trek. (laughs) Would have hated it. Now, in the seventies, most episodes, independently, this is going to be, championed by Carl Sagan. Yeah. Now there's actually, though, the pendulum swinging back, and there's a new thought uh, that I've been experiencing like last five years, but uh-huh. a new school of thought that probably existed before longer. Oh, yeah. And the qu- the question is, if you're in what they call the, the Goldilocks zone, uh-huh. a, a star, a planet around a star, where it would be habitable, you know, and to have an Earth type environment, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. why would evolution be different in space than it is here? Oh yeah, yeah. No, you're definitely so, so, probably going to have your squid, your crabs, and your jellyfish for sure. <laughs> but but the same thing. Why why wouldn't you have you know your your apex race be bipedal? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Why would it not have you know hands? Why would it not have you know? Uh, uh, 
two eyes for depth perception. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so yeah, so um, this though, the Migo are definitely this come from this thought that aliens will be alien. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, no. Um, it's, I, I do kind of like how the fact that uh, the Migo are kind of crustacean-like, which kind of like, you know, I mean, uh, and, and they can modify their bodies, and it's, I don't know, I, I kind of and like... And they can modify human bodies. And they can modify human bodies, for sure. They can take a human brain and put it into a cylinder and then hook it up to uh, uh, lo-fi cameras and sound systems, and heck, they can even make it so that that, that, that brain in a, a cylinder doesn't have to deal with the horrors of deep space. <laughs> yeah. and, and and there's this sort of almost throwout paragraph uh-huh. in uh, Whispers in the Darkness. Yeah. Where and again, this is a a unreliable narrator. Sure. You know, the Migo are not at war with human beings. No. There is a select few who are the worshippers of the yellow sign. They yeah. have declared war. Yeah. And so I think that's a great, you know, plot device. And I think there are even a couple of, you know, actual Chaosium called called Cthulhu mythos, I mean, adventures written about this where people are caught up in the war between the Vigo and the the King Yellow. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that's a great plot device that you can have either, you know, 1920s oh sure or uh you know in a medieval campaign yeah definitely definitely i like that now uh, and i've gone through just a couple of different versions of the migo uh in different role-playing games uh-huh. and, and one um is um pathfinder of course has really embraced the mythos uh and so they have out the you know the Migo as as a race, as a um, you know as a basically monster. Yeah. Um. um and spatted them out. Uh, recently, though, I was in a forum, and someone was asking for the stats for Migo, in two D twenty Star Wars, not Star Wars, two D twenty Star Trek. <laughs> Oh, Star Trek. That's even more interesting. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and so one of the things, though, that work and, and you, you know, this is this this is this idea. That, you know, they're not demons. They're aliens. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and but it works out because Migo actually do appear in some other 2D20 games and they're not perfectly translated from you know, those games into uh, Star Trek. But they, they they are statted in Conan, which I think they make a great uh, Conan uh, opponent. Yeah. And as well as Octum Cthulhu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was thinking about, like, Migo for Star Trek, though, and it's like, oh, that's dumb. And I'm like, well, I mean... If Romulans can steal Spock's brain, they must have learned it from somewhere. <laughs> Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Yeah, and, no. You know what? And, and, and throw your players a curve. Sure. You know, we're used to the Ferengi. Mm-hmm. We are used to the Klingons. Of course. You know, now we've got something that doesn't match to mm-hmm. um to, to to what we think of Star Trek. And yeah. I don't think it breaks the game. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, something I wanted to say is I think Mego technology is something that you can throw into your cyberpunk, your shadow run as like something that people discover is like, wait a minute, how did we make this weird uh, leap from like beige towers to like implants and computers in your head and all this other stuff, all this, all this other like bio, uh, bio modifications, cyber modifications and stuff like that. How did humanity make this weird, huge leap in just like 20 years? And if like you do like kind of like a cyberpunk call of Cthulhu crossover kind of thing, you can be like, Oh, it's all Mego technology. And then, you know, you can, like, maybe, like, have, like, a couple of characters. Like, maybe your your team is based off of people who don't have any of this technology, but also, you know, do have skills. And then, like, you have a campaign where people's biomods, cyberware start um, fighting against them. And then you have to have like some sort of Delta Green kind of like, or or maybe just like renegades out there, whatever, uh, going against the the uh, mega corps and whatnot who uh, sided with the Cthulhu mythos instead of humanity, and now it's your job to run around with a diecoat katana, lopping off people before they become too much Tetsuo. So, I don't know. So, <laughs> That's just so, a thought. <laughs> so, there is a game out there that has that. Oh, are, are we talking um, the one that's like kind of a combination of uh, Cthulhu Mythos and uh, Macross or Voltron? So, so, you, so, you're thinking, no. So, you're thinking uh, about Cthulhu Tech. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's the one I was thinking of. Which does. But there is also, uh, oh, um, GURPS, ha- GURPS has a Cyber Cthulhu. Oh, oh, good to uh, know. Which they do a lot of that. Uh, and it's all sort of, it's nice there. It's statted out. And, you know, another thought is. GURPS is amazing. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and, and so, um, um, and I think it came out about 20 years ago, but you can still yeah. get it. it. It's set for uh, third edition, which honestly has some things, especially if you're going to run a pulpy game, some advantages over um, 4, 4E. Um, and yes, you can bring all sorts of other things in, but you know, one thought is um, for, um, you know, would be uh, AIs. Yeah. So once what what do the Migo do with the brains after they remove them from the body? Yeah. They turn them into AIs. Oh. I like that. I like that. 
another one though, and, and I think those are some great ideas you have. Uh-huh. Uh, I do like. I mean, obviously, like, Migos are a huge thing called Cthulhu. Oh yeah. You know, I remember we had a big uh, New Year's Call of Cthulhu game, and so I had you know the Migos were you know the main creatures in it, uh, but um, they're a little bit different in Delta Green. Yeah. And one of the things I like about the Delta Green Migo is that they create, they realize that they are alien. Oh, yeah. So they create genetically the greys mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to act as an intermediary, uh, intermediary between them and the humans. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, that's a, a, another sort of unique spin uh, on Migos for gaming. Oh, definitely, definitely. And if you have any kind of science fiction game, you can kind of take that concept of the Migo creating biomechanoids of some sort, uh, something that will work with your game. Uh, what if the Migo created something of, like, I don't know, uh, robots that can transform into cars? Uh, you know, what if the Migo create? Uh, we can do this on and on and on. But it's like the, the Migo could create something that people are like, oh, this is trustworthy because they have this long, uh, terrible backstory and I, I, I must help them. Whether it be like you know a sad lost alien or who who loves like McDonald's and soda, um, or 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 one that knows how to hack a speak and spell to uh, you know send a cosmic message, uh, the Migo the Migo could create all kinds of things that just lie to us about what they are and what they want just to get to us. And I, I, I understand that the Migo, it's something that, that's, that's definitely talked about in uh, Call of Cthulhu books of uh, gameplay, is that uh, they, they don't understand the leaps in uh, logic that humanity makes when they discover stuff. And also the Migo have like deleted their own memory of their culture, uh, depending on who you've talked to. Uh, but yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. And, and I'm sorry, I, I sort of misspoke there that the GURPS uh, game I was talking about, it's Cthulhu Punk. Okay, cool. Cthulhu Punk. And, and they, they've, you know, recently, like 12 years ago, they uh-huh. redid the cover and everything. So yeah. you can still get them at least Usually, probably used, but definitely uh, PDFs. Okay, that sounds so like I, fun. So, uh, yeah, and, and here's the here's the thing that that GURPS did. So, GURPS is one of the first cyberpunk games, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so they create Cyberworld, which is the their version. Yeah, and it's there's this very advanced a very well built world building and in it there's things like everyone dies of some mysterious bio plague in australia mm-hmm. um the um alt-right take over america basically on a, a second wave of satanic panic uh Russia and Japan realize, hey, you guys got the tech. We got the manpower. 
and they combine and become like the power block of the world. Oh, wow. So what what they did for Cthulhu Punk, though, is they kept the same world. Okay. They kept the same world, but then they just introduced things like, you know, was Australia killed by some sort of bioplague? Yeah. Or was it the old ones? You know, <laughs> uh, are these people that are are chasing goth kids and, you know, pagans and trying to throw them in jail? Yeah. Are they the really the good guys? Are they really trying to fight, you know, some supernatural force? Or are they corrupted and realize this is the only defense that Earth has against them? Gotcha. So gotcha. you could do that if you're running a GURPS cyberpunk. You could slowly but surely introduce Cthulhu punk. And, and you could even, like I said, make it tech. Make yeah. it biotech. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I still feel like you could do that in your uh, Shadowrun or uh, uh, cyberpunk ca- uh, campaign or e- any kind of tech campaign you have where, like, you introduce, like, some sort of, like, uh, low-tech uh, cyberware or low-tech bioware that's going to boost you up pretty quick. But then you find out that there's, like, some terrible, terrible drawback to it. Like, you know, it, 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 it can move and think on its own, but you know, I mean, what moves and thinks on its own is your, your muscles and your body. Uh, when you're not, you know, when you're not awake, it, 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 you know, moves around and does things that you don't want to do, but you're asleep and, you know, anyway, uh, there's... So I want to throw out another one. Oh, go you. for it. Go for so, it. So let's say you got a modern adventure. Sure. And, and we don't, especially, you know, set it in COVID. We don't communicate face-to-face as uh, much, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. So you've got, you know, this helpful, you know, uh, helpful, you know, ally that's helping you. But you never met them uh-huh. because it's, you know, for, they just computer messages or maybe even Zoom, and it turns out it's a brain in a jar. Yeah. I was, I was, you know, like I, six I, or I, seven adventures in, you realize that, you know, this person you learn to trust, you know, no longer has their human body. Or, or you could do some sort of like um, 70s pulpy kind of thing, like a Charlie's Angels kind of thing, but like everyone assumes that Charlie is you know, somewhere else and the voice is coming out of the big wooden box, but actually it's just a brain in the box. Excellent. And, and <laughs> a final version, you know, and, and so, and, and Bosley's a meek, uh, Bosley's a deep one, but yeah. <laughs> in, in Cthulhu punk, there is a, a hundred point disadvantage, uh-huh. uh, disembodied brain. Yeah. Yeah. So what if your characters all start off that way? Ooh. And you guys, that's your, you got, you may not be able to get your body back. Yeah. But, you know, the first adventure or the, 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 uh, you know, the session zero is basically getting you back to some kind of body. Wow. And then escaping. Okay. Or putting your consciousness in, in, in someone else's consciousness. 
kind of thing. Yeah, or, yeah. or something. Or escaping on the internet or downloading to a robot. Sure, yeah, yeah. And if we're talking about like downloading to robots or droids or whatever, we we can go anywhere with that. Like, you know, if if <laughs> if we're talking about uploading uh, uh, consciousness into robots or, or AI or mainframes or whatever, yeah, yeah, no, that's that's pretty cool stuff. That's yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Something I was thinking about, though, was uh, how to use this in D&D. And something that popped up is like, how to use the Mego in D&D? What if someone uh, has been selling like a fungal armor? And it's it's like, you, you, you know, someone hires you to find the source of this fungal armor and is like, don't wear it because it's messing people up really bad over in this, like, two towns over. Like, next city on the other side of the mountains, they have this huge fungal infection and it killed a bunch of people. And we're not quite sure what all happened, but, like, there's a town that's just, like, dead. and There's fungus everywhere. And it's like find out if it's this or if it's something else and it's like it could be related to it but it's actually Migo that you end up finding um, either on purpose or by accident um, maybe some weird technologies start showing up in your D&D campaign like lightning guns and you know like someone who should not be able to uh take on some sort of creature or person is able to do so with a lightning gun. Like maybe some peasant shows up and like takes down King's guards with a lightning gun and almost kills the King. And you know, you've gone on some adventures in the past and like the King is like, Hey, uh, this, this shabby nobody thought that they could get me. And we're talking about like mushrooms and lobsters and, uh, attack me with a lightning gun or like some sort of like Mego weapon of some sort. And, uh, you know, then you got to go figure out what the hell's going on. And maybe it's tied to uh, some fungal armor. Maybe it's tied to some sort of weird community that like is like hidden way, way, way the hell out. And then you have, like, uh, communication with some uh, town elder who's like, oh, I'm sick and I'm in the dark. And then the next day you wake up and it's a wax hands and face and a blanket. You know, that that sort of trope. Or um, maybe there's some sort of uh, new robot in your Star Wars or Fallout campaign uh, that, that that's just pretty much like a jar a brain in a jar that's hooked up to a bunch of electronics or something. Um, and there's a lot of stuff you can do with a brain in a jar, in in my opinion. Yeah. So uh, I thought maybe on a D&D. Oh, yeah? Got, you know, you've got this guy who's got this basically what you think is a, a wand of lightning. And so they get to this plan, well, well, we'll, we'll disarm him by using a dispel magic spell. Yeah. And it gets cast. And no, it's technology, so it's still working. Uh, you could always have some sort of like uh, summoning spell for uh, Migo, which is like not even an actual summoning spell, but just just like a, um, a physical thing, like a staff of summoning for like Migo, but it's actually just kind of like, you know, like 
just just like be like hey can you guys come down oh yeah totally <laughs> now so I, I think there's a lot to be done and even characters that are familiar with the Migo, depending on how you introduce them oh yeah it would be surprised and one last thought i was thinking too is that we know from the whispers and darkness mm-hmm. that Migos are miners yeah so you've got a mine on a high mountain mm-hmm. that's a dungeon oh yeah 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 no one thing i wanted to say is that you could definitely use Migos for uh dungeon creatures because the fact that they are mining for stuff like you could have like doing you could throw migos into the underdark of forgotten realms and they would perfectly fit in they are an alien race that is mining for something uh they are an alien race they they, they're still a monster and they still have monstrous capabilities even though it's based off of technology and you could throw them into any dungeon, whether it be Dark Sun, whether it be Forgotten Realms, Greyhawk, um, your homebrew dungeon, um, like whatever the equivalent of a dungeon is in a fantasy game, uh, not a fantasy game, but a sci-fi game, like, like uh, I don't know, like going through a series of laboratories going down deeper and deeper until you find out oh my god they've got aliens but they're not grays or you find the grays but then you find out that the grays are actually transmitting like to some mountains off in the distance where there's actually some sort of Nego laboratory that's kind of watching the whole thing you know like that episode of Star Trek The Next Generation where they've got kind of like a uh, a laboratory that watches stuff and like data. Anyway, um, you know what I'm talking about if you watch I know, you're Next Generation. But yeah. Uh, so. Insurrection? <laughs> yeah. I was like, uh, I can't remember if that's an episode or a movie, but yeah, I think it's a movie. Uh, Purple Bazooka uh, Wharf. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Some ideas for the Migo. No, I, I definitely agree. And just throwing this out there, if it's going to be in the Underdark, their yeah. genetic engineers make albino blind Migo with echolocation. Ooh. Oh, man. Now I'm just thinking about, like, what kind of stuff the Migo – oh, barrier peaks. Like, if that was, like, a crashed Migo ship and everything's, mm-hmm. like, bioengineered. Like, I'm starting to get, like, alien vibes then if I'm thinking about, like, bioengineered, like, monsters and stuff like that. Like Absolutely. Like, xenomorphs and stuff like that could be, like, bioengineered monsters created by the Migo. Uh, you know, the Migo could create all kinds of stuff for what they consider, like, a positive active lifestyle which is like, oh, this takes this out of the air and this puts this into the air, which would be deadly for humans. Um, I mean, I just just throwing stuff out there. Uh, yeah, and you know, there is a really good new last year or two uh-huh. aliens RPG. Ooh. It would not be difficult to create Migo for that game. Well, that's cool. That's cool. And I don't know. I, I think it's kind of a little bit maybe cooler that uh, Migo created Xenomorphs than, like, those uh, big dorks in Prometheus. But that's just my opinion. 
If, if I were going to talk about that, that would be another show. Yeah, yeah. All right. So uh, now, speaking of another show, let's let's move on to the next segment. I want to talk to you about. Um, what have you been watching? Uh, anything you have to recommend? So um, you know, I was sick. I was able to watch uh, some TV, and there is it's on Netflix. Uh-huh. It's a very good Belgium uh, crime uh, cyber crime procedural. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's called uh, Unit Forty Two. Okay. And so basically, there's two old school detectives, and then two yeah a, a guy and a girl young. Um, you know, they're, they're the tech savvy ones uh-huh. and, you know, their, their, their team got assigned, you know, randomly a, a number, uh, but you know, they're explaining to the new leader to go, you know, yeah, we're, we're unit 42 because we're the answer to everything. And he just like stares yeah, through and they go, shit. they go, you know, hitchhiker's guide. He just like stares. They're like, they're talking, <laughs> you know, um, it, it's a very good, almost overly so character-driven sh- uh, series. Gotcha. Uh, there's two seasons, maybe a third coming out. Uh, only one season is translated into English right now. Okay. And because it's, uh, you know, uh, you know, it's Belgium, so it's French, mm-hmm. it really does, uh, the dubbing is very good. Oh, there cool. are like a couple of times where the mouth was moving and they weren't saying anything. But it's, it was so rare that I I was shocked when it happened. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, let's see. Uh, lately, I have been playing some Project Zomboid, which I don't know if you're familiar with or not. But the whole premise I am not. The whole premise of the game is it's an isometric view, and uh, you wake up somewhere, and your job is to survive as long as you can in the zombie apocalypse and when you die which is pretty inevitable um it's like this is how long you lived and this is how many zombies you killed but right before you start the game it's like this is a story about how you know how you died and because it's 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 not a game that you can necessarily win unless i believe you put in some mods but it's 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 a game that you can modify as much as you want. You can play it on the easiest mode you want, but like, um, you have to work really, really, really hard to survive in this game. Even if you take out the zombies, I found out. Mm. <laughs> I, 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 I've been playing it without zombies, just like this person who's like alone in a post-apocalyptic world where everything's like gone and the only thing that's left <laughs> is canned food. It's like, oh, well, you've been working really hard, and now you're sweating, and now it's getting cold, and your clothes are wet, but it's cold, and you're starting to feel kind of yucky. It's like, oh, okay, now i got to change my clothes. But uh, And uh, the other thing, let's see, what else? Uh, Stranger Things I've been watching. Y- yes, excellent fourth season yeah uh obi-wan kenobi i've been watching which has been pretty good amazing yeah yeah and uh the 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 thing that just like popped into my uh like kind of like oh you should check this out was on hulu 
Uh, if if you like punk like I like punk, it's the story of the Sex Pistols called Pistol, I think it, on Hulu. Yes, yes. I, I have not seen it yet. And it's 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 more of the uh, Steve Jones angle of the Sex Pistols as opposed to in the past. It's been more like Malcolm McLaren telling his story, or Johnny Rotten, John Lydon telling his story. But this is this is like Steve Steve. Uh, Steve Jones's story, and like I don't know, maybe maybe one of these days we'll get the Glenn or the Paul uh, story of it, and we've gotten like the very tail end of you know like kind of like a romanticized version of the Sid Vicious story. Okay. Uh, with, Nancy. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, no, no, uh, and I, I recommend I, I recognized uh, bits and pieces of. Uh, Steve Jones talking about how he stole like David Bowie's microphone and this happened and that happened and this happened from like years ago when I was like making donuts in the middle of the night listening to like uh, musicians talk about stuff on satellite radio and I was like oh shoot this is like this is like totally like Steve Jones talking about this stuff okay cool well this is like you know how stuff got started and it's it's like it's like oh i know who that character is supposed to be oh i know who that's supposed to be it's like oh that's cool before they like say their names and stuff like that because i've watched so much stuff and read so many things in the past about sex pistols um not that i'm necessarily a huge fan now but i was a teenager uh, like 20 years ago or so. So <laughs> I, I think when I was like 15, I was really into the Sex Pistols and watched a bunch of stuff about them, which like, uh, you know, 20 years ago, if you wanted to see stuff, you had to like go and like really search for it because there wasn't yeah. an internet as we know it now. And yeah, no, no. So, so I'm like, oh, that's that's Vivian Westwood. Oh, that's this person. That's that person. And uh, yeah, no, no. Uh, if 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 you enjoy punk, um, even if you think the Sex Pistols are kind of like a uh, corny boy band, um, corny boy band put together by their manager. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, not you know unlike any other boy band that's out there whether it be uh 98 degrees or the beatles <laughs> but yeah yeah no and it's like sex pistols was a boy band <laughs> that's just what it comes down to yeah. and uh it's 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 a fun interesting thing so far but yeah um anything uh anything else we need to cover dave I think we've covered quite a bit in this episode. All right. Well, everyone, thank you so much for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Oh, uh, quick shout out to Oblivions. Uh, go check out their uh, June special, Dads and Grads Waffle Extravaganza. Dads and Grads. Also, go to the shop and pick up any of our cool t-shirts. If you know a dad or grad who likes this show or... If you're a dad or a grad who likes the show and you want uh, to get a t-shirt for yourself, uh, new t-shirts coming to the shop sooner than later. And also, you're cool. I don't know if anyone's told you this lately, but you are cool. 
whether you're riding the bus, listening to this on a flight, or folding laundry, or just kind of like goofing off. But yeah. All right, everyone. We'll see you next time. This has been DB and Dave, People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Check us out on Facebook. We're also on YouTube and the Twitter. Um, anything you have to say before we leave, Dave? No, just bye. We will be here next week. All right. Sounds good to me. We'll see you next time, everyone. Do you like the TV series Tales from the Crypt? Are you interested in full episode and movie reviews from Tales from the Crypt? This podcast is for you. The Good Evening Kitties podcast, where I, Melissa, your ghostess with the mostest, recap every episode with special guests and bonus horror movie reviews. The Good Evening Kitties podcast can be found on most podcast platforms. Check it out today.